care Sunday is this Sunday, and I encourage you to be sure to be part of a care group and all the care leaders. We're going to have them come down this Sunday and pray over them. Amen. All right, how many of you have been reading in 1 John? Anybody been reading ahead in 1 John? We're going through the book of 1 John. You just want me to teach it to you, aren't you? You're just going to let me do all the work. All right, let's, uh, let's look at 1 John, and I've got it um, here in the transparency. We've been studying 1 John for, believe it or not, can you believe this, eight weeks. This is the eighth week, and it's just gone like that. I love the, the letter of 1 John. Um, we've uh, shared how John, in this letter, and his whole way is to kind of hit you in the gut with a velvet glove. My little children love one another. For love is from God. That sounds so good, John. But then he turns around and says, and if you don't love one another, you're a murderer. <laughs> yeah, so let's, uh, let's uh, stand and just read one verse here. 1 John 3, 9. We're going to begin there. And read that verse out loud with me together, can we? It's right up here. Let's read it together. Whoever has been born of God does not commit sin for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God I gotta tell you I used to read that and think I was lost because what do you mean I cannot sin and if I sin I'm not born of God how many of you have sinned since you got saved I just want to know if we got living people here today all right father bless us with your word tonight renew our minds in Jesus name Amen. You can be seated. That's why I, I tell you this every week. I'm going to tell you again. I'm going to go into the Greek some because I think if there's any book in the New Testament uh, where we really need to get into the language to a level, it's this one. We need to understand verb tenses because if I didn't know the verb tense of what he, of what he was using here, I would think, well, if, if I sin, if, if a believer sins, they're lost. They really never were saved. Isn't that the way it sounds? He cannot sin? How many of you have found you can sin? So what's he mean? Well, let's just look at it now. Born of God, born of God, he says, whoever has been born of God means he who has received the divine nature or divine life. That's what happens when you get born again. And you must be born again if you're ever going to see the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again, born from above, born once, you're lost, born twice, you're found, born once, you're dead in sins, born twice, you've been made alive, born once, you're going to go to hell, born twice, you're going to go to heaven. Isn't that what it teaches? And so look at Second Peter chapter 1 verse 4, by which, now he's talking about the promises of God by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Wow. So when we get saved, we become a partaker of the nature, the essence of Jesus Christ, which is divine. If you're saved, you have divinity in you. Before you're saved, you don't. Say, well, we're all children of God. No, we're all created by God. But you're not a child of God until you've been born again. 
And the Bible is very clear about this. John is more clear about this than almost anyone. Now when he says he cannot sin and he that is born of God does not commit sin, the word commit is in the present active tense, which means does not habitually sin like somebody who is lost. So thank God for the present active tense, because that's what it means. It doesn't mean if you ever sin, you haven't been born of God. Here's what it means, church, and we've got to get a hold of this. This is what the Holy Ghost wrote through John, that if you're a believer, you cannot live in sin with no conscience, no conviction, no problem, like somebody lost. Before you're saved, you don't have a problem with sin. It's your nature to sin. How many of you had to teach your children to sin? Now, honey, come here. Bobby, Sue, come here. Today, we're going to learn to sin. Uh Uh-uh. How many of you realized by the time they could think or move or talk, they were born in sin? They'd look right at you and lie. You tell them to do something, they, "Mm mm-mm. No. And the older they get, the worse they get. Till by the time they're 13, you need to build, build a wooden box, put them in it, drill a hole in it, and leave them in there till they're about 18. Then let them out and send them to the Army or the Navy where they can learn discipline. No. I'm just saying it comes natural to sin. How many of you had to learn to sin? No, no. Because we're born in sin, shaped in iniquity, and so the book that says, I'm okay, you're okay, is not okay. It's wrong. Because until you're born again, you're, you're not okay. You're, you're, you are given over to sin. Ephesians 2 tells us that we, were, we are born in sin, and we go through the motions of sin and serve sin until we're saved. But once we're saved, listen now, here's what John is saying. The divine nature comes into you via the Holy Ghost. Now the Holy Ghost is called Holy Ghost for a reason. He's holy. He's holy. And so our natures are reborn. Now we're still going to battle the flesh. We're still going to battle that pull to sin. But now there's a battle. Before we were saved, there was no battle. We were in sin. But now that we're saved, there's a battle, and the Holy Ghost, who is holy, begins to lead us into a righteous lifestyle. Okay? Now, really interesting here, his seed, look what he says. He says, he who has been born of God does not commit sin, for his seed, now his there is talking about the Lord. His seed remains in him. Interestingly, that word is from the Greek word sperma, refers to the principle of spiritual life. It means seed sown. Now watch this. It refers to the principle of spiritual life as imparted to the believer, which abides in him without the possibility of removal or extinction. When we listened for the first time to the gospel, when we heard the claims of the gospel, it was like seed. And those of us who received it, within us, there was a conception. 
We were born again. New life was birthed in us. Listen to 1 Peter. Having been what, everybody? Say it good and loud. Born again. Born from above. Having been born again, let's read it together. Not of corruptible what? Seed, but incorruptible. And what is the incorruptible seed Peter is talking about? Through the what? Word of God which lives and abides forever. This is seed. Now what I'm doing is I'm sowing seed tonight as I teach you. The Word of God, like seed sown, is going into your spirit and it's feeding the new man inside of you. In a few weeks, we're going to have that hundred guitars of praise at that Methodist church. I went and looked at that church yesterday. I'm already dreaming a little dream. And there's going to be a lot of people there who are not born again. So when I stand up to minister, I'm going to sow seed. And those who receive that seed, after they've heard a hundred guitars of praise and the Holy Spirit is in the sanctuary the seed is going to go forth and everyone who receives it a new life will be birthed in them that's how real this is it's not a religion because religion is man's best attempt to find and reach and please God if you live to be a million according to the New Testament you would never please God Christianity is God reaching down to you via Jesus Christ. And when you got saved, you got saved because the Holy Ghost drew you to Him. Now you said yes to Christ, yes, absolutely. But the Holy Ghost convicted you of sin. Jesus said He, He, talking about the Holy Ghost, He, when He comes, He will convict you of sin, righteousness, and coming judgment. And then the Bible says, nobody says Jesus is Lord, but by the Spirit. But as soon as you say Jesus is Lord, the seed has successfully been sown in your soul, and you were just born from above. By the incorruptible seed of the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Isn't that powerful? It is this principle of divine life that makes it impossible for a Christian to live habitually in sin. For the divine nature causes the child of God to hate sin and love righteousness. Now you may think you like sin. You may think you're drawn to it. But once it's committed, you feel like dirt. You feel defiled. You feel wronged. See, the lost person doesn't feel that. They say, yeah, well, you know. They can sin and not even blink. Does somebody say, "Uh uh-uh, you're going to have conflict, you're going to have turmoil, you're going to lose your peace, it's going to be like your gut tightens up, your heart's going to lose all of its joy. The child of God can't live. You are ruined for sin. All right, now, and give, look, look what it says. It is the principle for the divine nature causes the child of God to hate sin and love righteousness and gives him both the desire and the power to do God's will. Paul said, let's read this together. God is the one who is constantly putting forth energy in you, giving you both the desire and power to do his good pleasure. 
God's doing that. Every day that goes by, God is putting his power in your life. And he's giving you what I call the, the divine want to. The divine want to. The divine want to do. The things you used to love, you hate. The things you used to hate, you love. How does this make any sense that we're sitting in a church on Wednesday night in the cold and the wet? Sitting in a chair, listening to somebody read out of the Holy Bible? What happened to you? You received a new nature. And it's given you a love for what used to bore you to tears. This is the work of God. Amen? Everybody say, I'm not weird. I'm saved. One commentator writes, the germ of the divine life has been implanted in our souls. And it grows. A gradual process and subject to occasional retardation, yet still it is certain, attaining at length to full fruition. The believer's lapses into sin are like the mischances of the weather which hinder the seed's growth. It may temporarily hinder, but if there is no growth, there is no life to begin with. You've been born again. And so if you do go into sin, you won't stay. You'll come back, and God will continue to grow that seed because it's in you. Amen? Now verse 10, in this, the children of God and the children of who? Is he talking about Alice Cooper there? Who's he talking about? Children of the devil. Anybody who's not born again, and please understand, I know this sounds harsh, but anybody who's not born again is a child of the devil. And I'll, I'll show you how in just a minute. In this, the children of God, the children of the devil are manifested or revealed or made clear. Whoever does not practice righteousness habitually is not of or sourced out of God, nor is he who does not, uh-oh, love who? His brother. How many of you know that some of your brothers and sisters are weird? Come on, there's some weird people out there, huh? In the church. They come in, they're weird. They live weird, they talk weird, they look weird, but they're still brethren. Now, 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 I got to tell you now, when I read these things and I think of the church, I say we need to come to grips with what John said by the Holy Ghost. The word for love that he uses here is not phileo, which means friendship, but it's agapao or agape and refers to the divine love, which is self-sacrificial in its nature. Children, the word children, he uses the word tekna, meaning born one, born one. If you are not born from above, you are born ones of the devil in the sense that from Adam you inherit a totally depraved nature just like the devil has. That's what he's telling us. How many of you can say it wouldn't have taken a rocket scientist if you'd been around me when I was lost to figure out that I was sourced in the devil? That is, I mean, you do, you do the will of your father who is the devil. Jesus told the Pharisees that's what they did. If you, if you knew him, if you knew God, Jesus said, you would love me and accept me. But you are going to do the will of your father, the devil. He said that to the religious teachers of his day. Yes. 
All right, verse 11, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should, what everyone, love one another. Now when he says the beginning, what beginning? He's saying from the moment you were saved, the beginning of your salvation, you heard this message. This is one of the things you, you first heard, that we are to love one another. This is no news to you, John is saying. It's no news. This is not a news flash. From the very beginning, you heard from us and from Christ himself that you're to love one another. Jesus said, I give you only one commandment. What was it? Love one another, even as I have loved you. Okay? So, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers, Abel, were righteous. Now, wicked one is poneros. That's the Greek word. And it means a pernicious person who seeks to drag everyone else down with himself into the corruption and destruction that awaits him. That's the devil. That's the devil. Because he said, Cain was of the wicked one, when he says wicked one, that means poneros or pernicious one. He's telling us something about the devil. He's not content to perish in his own sin. He wants to drag everyone with him he possibly can. That's what the word means, poneros. So you've got two kinds of evil people. Kakos is the other one. And it just means somebody, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die in my sin. I don't care if I take anybody with me. I'm just going to die in my sin. I'm not particularly pernicious about it. But there's another kind of evil person who really reflects the devil. That is the person who's going down and they're going to take as many people with them as they possibly can. That's the devil. And that will reflect in the lives of many people. They're the same way. I'm not going down alone. I'm not going to hell alone. And these fools who will say to you, well, you know, when I go to hell, I'm just going to meet my buddies down there. Did you know there's nowhere in the Bible that says you will ever see anyone in hell? That's stupidity on two feet. That is stupid. There's nowhere. If you wake up in hell, the Bible never says you're going to see Joe, John, Bill, Sue. No, 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 no. You're alone. Now, that's the devil. That's the devil. So they said that's what Cain was like. Now, murdered is the word sfadzo, sfadzo, and it means to slay, slaughter, butcher by cutting the throat. That's what sfadzo means. Now, it was used in classical Greek of slaughtering victims for sacrifice by cutting the throat. It's talking about any slaughter by knife or by sword. Sfazo is very uh, specific. If you use it, you're talking about somebody whose throat was cut or an animal's throat that was cut. Now, the usual word meaning to kill is apothnesco. Apothnesco. And, and by the Spirit now, John is going out of his way to describe the murder of Abel by Cain. He doesn't use apothnesco, which he would normally use to describe to kill. He uses sfadzo. 
What's he telling us? Clearly, Cain cut his brother's throat. That's what he did. This is why God came to Cain and said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Cain's method of murder shed much blood, which the cutting of the jugular vein would do. That's what he did. That's why the language is sometimes so important because you never know that unless you, you look at the words. And we can all do studies in the Strong's and Vines and the books that we've made available to you in the past. But this is very, very important because it was brutal, uh, malicious murder. And Cain learned this method. Where did he learn it? He learned this method of killing when God taught the human race in Genesis 3.21 to kill a sacrificial animal when approaching a holy God. In Genesis 3, this is why, folks, Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God and Cain's was rejected. Because Cain thought God was a vegetarian. (laughs) See, here's what God had done. God had made it very clear. It says in Genesis 3.21 that God brought to Adam and Eve tunics of skin. And here's what God was teaching them in the presence of the first sin. Sin is covered by the shedding of blood. It's not covered any other way. There has to be a shedding of blood. And God, way back in the ancient garden, was pointing down the tunnel of time way centuries and millennia later when John the Baptist would look and say, Behold what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, that was after centuries and millennia of animal sacrifices where God over and over ingrained it in the minds and hearts of His people. If sin is covered, it's by the shedding of blood. It's by the shedding of blood. So here comes Abel. It's time to make an offering for sin. And he offers an animal, sacrifice. And God said, accepted. Here comes Cain with veggie, a veggie plate. And he says, here. Now here's what I personally believe about this. Not only was Cain wrong because God did not respond to a sacrifice that didn't contain blood, but I think it was open rebellion because God taught the first family you do not have your sin covered apart from blood, the shedding of blood. So I think Cain was saying, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to hug a tree. I'm going to embrace another God. I'm going to do it my way. I, he would have gotten along fabulously in our day. He said, I'm going to do it my way. And so God, my way is just going to have to do with you. It's going to have to do. And he came and he offered vegetables, fruit of the ground. And God said, no. It says, Cain's countenance fell. He got filled with wrath and anger. And God said, Cain, if you do well, will it not go well with you? Here's what God was saying. If you offer the sacrifice I've taught your family to offer, then I'll receive it. Why are you angry at me? You can't do it your way. There's only one way to have sin covered, and that's the blood. And God was not afraid to say, wait a minute, I'm a one-way God. I'm a one-way God. What does God say to people today? I don't care what you want to offer me. It doesn't matter to me because I'm going to accept it if you don't come to me by way of the blood of my son. That was the ultimate sacrifice. 
sacrifice, every Old Testament sacrifice echoed and pointed to and hearkened to the day that my son would come and spill his blood for your sake. If you don't do it my way, I'm going to reject your offering. And so here it came. The spirit of murder came on him. And watch this now, church. This is important. God said, if you do well, I'll receive it. But if you don't do well, be careful. Because Satan is crouching like a lion at your door. Now, watch this, folks. He just got the word. And the spirit of murder jumped on him. Pounced on him. And he committed the first murder of the human race. When did it happen? When he saved himself from God's way and his own way. He opened his life up to a foreign spirit, a foreign power, and that spirit of murder on him, and he would mark the rest of his life. He murdered his own brother by slitting his throat. It goes to show you, you would do anything, anything, if you separate yourself from God and start walking in the flesh. You do anything. That's why we say, oh, God, I'll do it your way. I'll do it your way. And I will, in your presence, claim God, Jesus. And I'll worship the Lamb of God. I go into eternity. I don't have anything to claim but that blood and that Lamb. And that will get me in. Otherwise, the Lion is crouched at my door. So let's read the translation first. Because this is the message which you heard from the beginning to effect what we should habitually be loving one another with a divine. Can y'all see it? Loving one another with divine love, not even as Cain was out of the evil one and killed his brother by severed jugular pain. And why did he? and those of his brother righteous. They pray to God for the Lamb of God. And verse 13 and 14, Marvel, my brother, the world hates you. We know that we have passed death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother is the two, dies in death. He's saying at the very beginning, the Greek really is like this, Marvelin, quit the shot. The world hates you because you're Now that phrase passed from life. Oh, that we pass death to life. We love the brethren. It's in the perfect tense. Pass from death to life is in the perfect tense. Referring to a past action that carries permanent results. That's what the perfect tense means. Something happened back there in the past. And it's still affecting me today. Carrying permanent results. Better put, we have passed over. You can't turn around, make the Red Sea part again and pass over into Egypt. Salvation is permanent. You can't get unborn. The chicken can't get into the egg. This thing is permanent. No man can pass out of the land. 
Now here, big Greek lesson. Oh, you're going to like this. From to life. Actually, this. Two attitude. Here's what Two is the, and two is death. Now, the only reason I put this up here is this really today. Human beings have only two choices. Biden, the death. Now, do you see X, you see that too? Pass from death. You could say that we have passed from death to life. But instead, he puts the definite article in front, and he says this, the death. Now, if he said, just, just said, we have passed from death generally into life, okay. But he calls separation from God the death. The death. Like the mama of all deaths. The humdinger of all death. You know what he's saying? When you got saved, you passed out of the death. I don't know what that does to you, but that just hit me today right between the eyes. Wow. Because not only does he say out of the death, but ace, ton, zoane, into the life. So, hey, there is a the death that is the humdinger of all, and there is a the life. So you're not just in life, you're in the life. Amen? The life. To abide in the death of separation from God or the life that exists, exists in Jesus Christ Guess what? There is not a the middle ground. Put another way, there is not a the fence. You're either in the death or you're in the life. Well, you know, Pastor, I just got one foot in the church, one foot in the world. I'm making my mind someday. Listen, you know you don't. You've either got yourself in the death or in the life. You're not straddling any fence. Now watch this. Whoever is not loving his brothers and sisters with a love that impels him to deny himself for their benefit is abiding in, John says, the death. So John is identifying the person in whom the agape love of God is not found. Chapter 3, verse 15. Whoever, read it with me, whoever hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We're headed towards the end, so we praise God. <laughs> because this is the hardest one of all. I saved the best for last. All right. Hate comes from the word meaning malicious and unjustifiable feelings toward others, whether it be the innocent or mutual hatred between parties. Murderer means manslayer. Whoever hates is a manslayer. All right. How does hating someone make me a murderer or a manslayer? Because hatred is the inward emotion that leads to the outward act. You won't find me one killer in prison who didn't first have his heart filled with murder or with hatred before he committed the act. Even if it was in a moment of, of passion, a crime of passion, for that moment there was hate 
and it manifested in the act. This is why Jesus said, you better be real careful. Well, let's just read what he said. Jesus said, let's read it together, can we? You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause is in danger of judgment. And whoever says to her, Raka, which means empty head, and I tell you the truth, really empty headed idiot. That's what it means. You empty headed idiot. Danger of what? Court. Why? Because if those emotions are in you towards a person, court may not be. Then he says, whoever says what? You fool, which is a stronger term, shall be in danger of hell. Fire. Why in the world am I in danger of hell? Fire. If in hatred I say to a brother, you fool. Because John already told us in chapter 2, verse 11, who hates his brother is darkness and in darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The is in the aorist tense, meaning a completed action in the past. And here's what it's saying. When the darkness of hatred overtook, it blinded. Let me just put it real simple. Let's just say that 10 years ago when Julia was little, I was looking in, in the closet for something, and she came up behind me and closed the closet door on me, and everything went black and dark, totally blinded. Couldn't see. God saying, it's just like that. The minute hatred comes into your heart, the door shuts, and you are blinded. And you're groping in the dark, and you can't see where you're going. So here's the point. If you don't see where you're going and you're spirit-blinded, then you're open to stumble into any sin at all because you've lost discernment. You've been blinded. So here you are, groping in the dark. You stumble and get in all kinds. This is why people, folks, get bitter, filled with hatred, change, transform before you. And they end up in court for assault or for murder. And you ask them, how did that happen? The day will come and say, I don't know. I just know that I got angry. I turned into bitterness, hatred, and I did things I can't believe I Because the door was shut and it blinded them. Now for a believer, he says, you can't walk. The moment you do, you're headed for trouble. You're going to say things, you empty-headed idiot, you nut. And then you're going to end up doing things. Because if it's here, it's not here. Okay? So blinded is, uh, so a person who can't stumble into anything is in danger of leads to hell. Love, not gifts, not charisma, love, not wealth. Love is the test of not we are happily abiding in Him. That's God telling us. Now, I'll tell you, as the teacher tonight, there is no way that people I'd like to go with tonight. I could do it in the Old Testament, say an eye for an eye, sorry, that's the Old Testament, or oh, I forgot. I forgive me. 
Yeah. 